Hello, I'm Llewellyn King, the host of White House Chronicle. Today, we take a look into the future at the role of sensors, autonomy, and how technology is going to upend a lot of things. To take us on this journey into the future, I have two of the most gifted and knowledgeable people about the future and the technology that will be deployed to bring it about. They are Morgan O'Brien, the executive chairman of Anterix. He is also known as one of the co-founders of Nextel, a company that radically changed the cell phone industry. And Jeff Deku, who is the chairman of the Autonomy Institute. And I think we should go right away to Jeff and ask him, what does the Autonomy Institute do? And are all sorts of magic things going to come into our lives? Things that make beds, wash dishes without us lifting a hand. Well, first of all, I greatly appreciate uh, you inviting us to the, the program and to be here with uh, Morgan and you, Llewellyn. Um, the Autonomy Institute, so I'm Jeff Dico, I'm chairman of the Autonomy Institute, which is a 501c3 um, that was established to bring together government academia. That, that means it's a not-for-profit. Oh, yes, not-for-profit. Some um, of us have been engaged in various <laughs> activities that were for-profit, that turned out to be morally superior because they made no profit. Well, I, I would say that uh, my background's all commercial, so uh, the intent is definitely to support the commercial industry across the U.S., um, but it became very clear to us back in 2017 that unless there was a government industry in academia um, solution to how this um, was solved, we were industry was not going to see that day, government was not going to see the day of how these technologies could have started affecting our daily lives. So our, our focus, if our tagline is path to commerce, we're wanting to be the catalyst that helps accelerate the industry and start to see these connected and intelligent systems start to affect our daily lives. And while you've got, while you've got the stage, um, how do you do that? And how extensive is your vision of the autonomous future? Everybody thinks immediately about cars that will come whizzing down the street, somehow missing pedestrians, missing dogs, missing uh, Uber drivers, everything. Uh, how is that going to work? Is that your mission or is it broader and uh, deeper? Well, uh, it's, it's anything that can actually put um, what has been in factories for the longest time, we're automating systems and bringing it out to the real, real world is, is our mission. So um, I, I think it, it's, it's probably going to be disappointing to some that um, we, it, connected in autonomous cars and trucks may take a little bit longer, but we will see a lot of autonomous systems starting to affect our daily lives um, and really in the next few years. And um, we, we use the example of the, the Roomba vacuum, you know, 20 years ago, most people would have never assumed that the, the most deployed autonomous robot in our society today would be a vacuum cleaner, but that's exactly what it is. So um, our mission with, we have over a hundred different, uh, you know, partners from industry involved, and it's just connecting the dots together and spearheading um, what we believe is gonna be the largest infrastructure build out in our nation's history. And, um, it's going to be very much dependent on what Morgan can do for us. So, 
Morgan, <laughs> what can you do for us? But let me just go back. You spent a, a, a whole career pushing at the very frontiers of technology, of social adaptation of technology, making it user-friendly, uh, life-enhancing, quality of life providing. Uh, how do you see the future and what can you do for it now? Um, Llewellyn, it's a pleasure once again to join you and it's a particular pleasure to meet uh, and participate alongside Jeff here in, in light of my 100% uh, alignment with what uh, his institute is trying to do. So uh, let me say that it only gets better from here on and what has revolutionized our lives in the way of uh, wireless devices will seem uh, relatively inconsequential as compared to what is ahead for us uh, if we do this right. But let me, let me pounce on one thing that Jeffrey said that uh, for me is, is all important, which is that these, these miracles are not going to come unless there's a very close alignment between government, academia, and uh, the private sector. And uh, that's why I'm, I'm so enthusiastic about what he's doing and to learn more about what he's doing. That's, as, as the enterics views the, the future and the role that we'll play, uh, we see that there's going to be an, uh, a necessity for an alignment, a very close alignment so that we get this infrastructure right. This, has, this infrastructure has to be built to support the digital future. And it will not come cheaply and it will not be easy, but it must be built and it's gonna have to come through a collaborative effort just such as uh, Jeffrey is describing. Before we go to Jeffrey, when you say this infrastructure has to be built, what is it? What has to be built? Is it power lines? Is it uh, um, telephone lines? Is it, it is, broadband? What is it? Uh, it is it is all of those things. But the the, the part that that Antarx focuses on is the uh, wireless infrastructure. It is it is not glamorous in that it's actually a collection of. Uh, antenna structures, uh, radio uh, uh, frequency devices, sensors, and uh, all of the paraphernalia necessary to support uh, the same kind of wireless capability that every one of us depends on every day for, for his or her smartphone. So it's a combination of radio frequencies, spectrum, that's available only uh, uh, by license from the FCC. That radio spectrum combined with new technology deployment and radio uh, devices for what we're all imagining as the supporting infrastructure for the smart world that we're looking forward to, it's literally billions of dollars of investment. And, and the point is that investment has to be made intelligently and rapidly to, to reap the benefits that are there. Jeff, uh, would you like to build on that? No, I 100% agree. And, and it goes so far to say that 
in our lifetime, we have not seen the magnitude of build out that is going to have to take place to, to, to pull this off. I mean, we've done a lot of study of what happened during the early telecommunications build out, what happened in the 1936 electrification act that, that spread, and then what happened with the interstate highways. And what Morgan's talking about is it, it's, it's big, it's bold, and from the wireless standpoint, wireless is the fundamental, fundamental piece. It's, it's if, if the internet was built off of TCP IP and fiber, this entire future of the intelligent and autonomous um, cities and rural communities is gonna be built off of wireless. Could you uh, uh, explain TCIP? Oh yeah, so the transmission part, so it's, it's basically the communication standards that allow the internet um, to, to grow like it did. There was a standard that was established that came from the US government um, that the commercial industry then took and brought out um, and rapidly accelerated the adoption of networking, you know, the interconnections that we experience today. There's a whole part of our society, primarily associated with corporations, that tends to be like to ridicule the government as inept, incompetent, expensive. Uh, uh, and yet so much of the modern world and depends on GPS, winglets on airplanes, and of course the internet itself are all government inventions or government ideas. And where does the government fit now? We're about to get, hopefully, or perhaps, a large investment in infrastructure from the Biden administration. It's one of the um, real emblems of their plans for the United States going forward. Um, what do you expect of the government now? Have they, has it done its job? Is it time for, for the government to pull back and for private enterprise to keep going? Jeff, well, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll take that one. So, I, I, so I'm from industry. So to tell you the truth, your, your first little diatribe I probably would have believed in you know, five years ago. Um, but what has what come to the realities, and it struck me about um, in really 2016 and 17, is so many of the standards and, and what we take for granted were developed in the, the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s, and um, came from government. So it's not just GPS. It's not just the internet. It's, it's even 3D maps. People think, oh, Google did 3D maps. No, no. Google acquired a company that was heavily, heavily funded by the U.S. government. So whether it be the transistor or the computer, all the fundamental building blocks were innovations of the advanced science and scientists and engineers of, of our, um, our nation. What is broken is we somehow have flipped the model thinking that innovation and all the future comes from commercial. What, what really is the perfect combination is what we had in the early days where research, like you, know, you had the Bell Labs and you had Xerox Park and you know, coming up with great things and industry would commandeer those technologies and just you know, profit off of the amazing impacts it would have on, on society. We are, we've spent time with many of the federal agencies that you know, really need to be the ones that are bold and lead with the standards, not with actually developing the technology, but at least giving the standards the push. And the example I give is 5G. We've all agreed that 5G is the fundamental building block to so many of these, or 6G or 7G, because it's obviously evolution. 
But now those standards, over 60% of those standards are now controlled by a government. Unfortunately, it's not our government. And that's what we have to kind of reverse the, the course. Well, then. Let me, let me pause to say um, there couldn't be a more important time for the federal government uh, to set out rules of the road for this kind of infrastructure to be put in place to encourage and to partner with industry. It's, it, it really, for me, has, has, the, has the sense of being uh, a unique time for all of us. And we have an administration, and I think there's gonna be a bipartisan, despite all the evidence to the contrary, there's gonna be bipartisan support for getting the American public all the benefits of new technology. And that's gonna require a higher level of cooperation and, and more uh, guidance and uh, incentives from the federal government to support uh, state and local government and industry together to, to, to get to this unique end game that's, that is the fourth industrial revolution. It's the digital revolution, taking all the advantages of what digital can do and uh, making them available to, to the way American industry operates. It will be unrecognizable in the next X number of years. Of course, these things always take longer than you think, but uh, it's happening. I see it in the trade press every day, new, manufacturing facilities, adapting 5G technology, which is, was uh, developed for cell phones, using that technology uh, to uh, harness uh, uh, artificial intelligence and improve manufacturing processes. It's just amazing. Morgan, you have spoken very eloquently in the past about the smart city. Uh, where does the smart city come up? How much automation or autonomy do we need to have a smart city? And what are the things that, what are the benefits and what are, what are the hurdles to getting there? Well, let me, let me, let me start by saying uh, what Enterix is. Uh, That's your company, Enterix. Enterix, my company every day. We're working with the major utilities in the United States to cooperate with them to, uh, to begin to deploy new wireless broadband technologies to support grid functionality. And as that network gets deployed, it is an obvious uh, uh, application of this technology to make cities smarter, street lights smarter, traffic lights smarter, water uh, system more, more adaptable. And the generation of power from wind and solar uh, far more dynamic and much more uh, to the uh, unique requirements of the consumer. So the smart city, what makes it smart is awareness 
and what develops awareness and delivers awareness is a collection of vast amounts of data and then the analysis of that data to produce solutions. Sometimes the simplest possible solution at the end of this whole complex process is turn the traffic light on, turn the traffic light off. But it has a, uh, a cascading effect through the whole, uh, the way that we live in cities. Um, that's very interesting. Uh, you uh, describe mostly things that happen on the surface, but in fact, Jeff, we're going to see things happening underground, autonomous things. Uh, Elon Musk with his uh, smart tunnels is one aspect of it, and drones, which are going to be you know, rushing into the sky in all sorts of ways, performing all sorts of functions. Um, where does that all come together? And how do you control all these autonomous devices, autonomous vehicles on the streets, autonomous drones, and presumably autonomous subterranean transportation. You identified the first thing is kind of highlighting, we're all used to the cell phone being the, the main and largest um, um, user of the, if, the wireless if your, networks. If your life is dominated by the cell phone, yeah. uh, I'll give you yeah. Morgan's home <laughs> cell phone number. <laughs> but the, the future is going to be, yeah, there's going to be a hundred times for every cell phone. There's going to be a hundred, if not a thousand times the devices that are doing other things to, to your point, uh, Llewellyn, that like drones or rovers delivering groceries to people's homes or a shuttle picking up grandma to her house and bringing her to the doctor and back home. But like drones alone, you know, we have trillions of dollars of infrastructure across the United States that has to, to be maintenance and maintained and, and operated. And small drones are, have been found over the last five years to be irreplaceable um, for, for managing those, those assets. And the goal is to get tens of thousands of those deployed, but it's going to require resilient wireless networks, assured position navigation and timing, edge computing, a lot of these edge technologies densified. But, but let me let me make a point and see and see if Jeffrey, because he's he's got the he's got the autonomy name even in the institute. Uh, ironically, I think autonomy will only be fully realized if there's a lot of regulation of standards and rules of the road. I mean, you, you couldn't possibly have autonomous driving without uh, traffic lights and rules road. So I think the interesting point that his group is grappling with is how do you get that balance right so that we get the full benefits of autonomy without chaos? So we have a, a gentleman that's on our board that actually phrased what, um, how we're perceiving autonomy today. Um, and his, his point is people don't realize right now every vehicle that's out there today is autonomous. It's, it's carbon-based autonomy, not silicon-based autonomy. And that does not optimize traffic flow. So directly to your point, Morgan, it's, it's basically just like the FAA required air traffic control towers to basically create a vibrant and robust commercial aviation industry. We, we're actually pioneering a concept called ASOCs, Autonomous System Operation Control Centers, which allows commercial industries to come together. So it's not the government controlling, it's that everybody comes together in an airport right now to basically have their planes take off and load up people and take, you know, and, and do commerce. Imagine now 
all the OEMs and all the robots that are delivering groceries and all the drones performing routine tasks are now being managed in a, a collaborative or you know, uh, public-private partnership um, control center. Which is what you have with air traffic control. You have exactly. commercial, um, you have co commercial aircraft controlled in flight, uh, yep. partially by the government, by the air traffic control system, which uh, I've always found totally fascinating and yet, and, collaboration. And yet the airlines themselves operate very competitively. So that that industry has more or less gotten it right. The, the difference between competition and regulation, and that's that's what we're going to be. That's what we're going to be struggling with. I mean, I, I say I no longer shrink at the concept of industrial policy because I think probably that's what's going to be necessary to get this right. I think the reason that really requires in, um, industrial policy is the last 50 years is we've pretty much lived off of ones and zeros software. And in order for this transition to take place of actually moving autonomy into the real world, we're talking about the merging of the digital and the physical worlds together. And when you're in the physical world, you're, you're in up and around people and you're in and around municipalities and states and federal. There's no way to solve for that without some industrial policy. And I think Morgan, I think um, we believe like Senator Warner um, is an exceptional, you know, passionate leader around this. And what we like is they've, he's teamed with people, like you said, it's, it's bipartisan, like Senator Cornyn down in Texas and Warner have teamed together on really big initiatives like the CHIPS Act. And um, our, the perfect world would be those two come together on and work with the Secretary of Transportation and build a, a full scale plan that then is executed and supported by private dollars and um, the, the build-out can occur very quickly. Yeah, and at his, at, at, at his core, Mark Warner, who parenthetically was the founder of Nextel, um, uh, Mark Warner in, the, in his previous life before he went into politics, but uh, he's, there's nobody in Congress that believes in business more than he does, yeah. and yet he understands uh, these necessities. I mean, he's, yeah. he's, the, he's, the ideal, he's the ideal guy uh, to be making these kind of decisions for the future. Yep, agreed. Jeff, do you see problems in the future? Uh, take me to the future, to the smart city. I, my life is very different from my father's life. I carry a telephone. I have an automobile downstairs. Uh, we are doing this. We're making this television program on some very remarkable technology, which we couldn't do even uh, 10 years ago. Uh, but life in the smart city or outside of the smart city, what's that going to be like? How is that going? How do you personally see that changing? Well, I'm, I'm always an, an optimist. So, so a lot of people say, oh, our jobs are going to be taken by robots. And I, I look at the, the exact opposite. Our, the, the mundane jobs are going to be taken. And the amount of creativity that's going to be unreleased, uh, unleashed by our society is, is going to be ex explosive um, in, in impact. And I see what I see is a future of if we do really have millions of autonomous systems going around building roads, cleaning roads, building bridges, you know, just maintaining things, um, we're going to see an unbelievable resurgence in our actual physical infrastructure that we have not had for a long time. I mean, you look at China, 
they're building New York 10 times over every 10 years. And we're sitting basically still here in the US. But what about the quality of life? There was an attempt to build a smart city in Toronto with uh, a subsidiary of Google, which was uh, the driving force. And finally, the people got fed up with it and said no, largely as I understand it, because privacy couldn't be guaranteed. What, what's the solution there? What's the way around that? The, the solution is, is what's called a data exchange. So there's been a tremendous amount of research around the concept of the data exchange and the digital twin. But you are right. I mean, the, the, the strategy of what happened in Canada basically set smart cities back several years because um, it came in at it as a private data approach um, where they're going to, you know, hey, we're going to pay for all this. But that data was then used by one private institution or company. Um, the data exchange is one that would be um, mutually leveraged by not only industry, but also governments as well as academia to basically help, you know, it increase the, the, how people live within the cities and what they actually do and what kind of services are delivered to them. As we're coming towards the end of our time, I have called what is happening, the Great American Reset. I wrote a column to that effect, which has been very widely published and discussed. Uh, I rather like the idea of a reset, uh, and it looks pretty good. Are you confident, Jeff, that all of our people will benefit from this, that it won't be uh, a further addition to the separation between the haves and the haves not and the have-nots, which is a bit uh, uh, troublesome at the moment, or in fact, extraordinarily concerning. The, well, we believe the clarity of the, the plan that's been put together by the Autonomy Institute is, I'm very confident that's no, number one, will eliminate the digital divide. Um, so even though autonomy is our approach, our moonshot, we believe the, the fundamental impacts to cities, rural communities, and across all our states is gonna be that connectivity and unlimited bandwidth, anything that they want to do. If a child in the rural community, farming community needs to use a gigabyte of bandwidth to basically do open heart surgery training, that should be a privilege to them. It's kind of like in 1936 when we did electrification, we didn't go to a farmer and say, okay, we're only gonna give you one kilowatt of energy. Um, it was basically everybody was connected to the same system and that's what we're gonna to have to get to. And I think it's gonna for sure eliminate the uh, digital divide that we are experiencing today. Morgan, we're out of time. Give us an au revoir comment. <laughs> uh, my last comment is keep an eye on how the CEOs of the United States are beginning to take on responsibilities other than the profits of their shareholders. And it, there's no telling what that produced. That's very interesting. Uh, well, uh, things are changing. Our society is changing. I'm one of the last people who still wears a necktie. Maybe I'll have to change, but I've been doing it since I was eight years old. I feel terribly naked in public without it. And things change in ways we don't anticipate. I've always said it's not the thing you worry about that comes and gets you. It's something else. But overall, there are good things that are happening. Very exciting things across the board and both of you have the good luck to be at the center of this revolution the great american reset cheers white house chronicle is available as a podcast on apple 
Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you listen, we are there.